7, start reading in verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So we've mentioned Melchizedek before because a few times in the previous chapters it mentioned, they kept quoting the prophecy from Psalms, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so that was mentioned that Jesus Christ is our high priest. So Jesus, the reason that we are able to obey God and receive eternal life is because of the fact that Jesus Christ did the work of a high priest on our behalf. We didn't do any good thing. We, it wasn't that we obeyed, but it was the fact that Jesus obeyed and it got credited to us. We've been credited with His righteousness. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing. and it's, it's a wonderful doctrine. And so here, though, he's going to start getting into the details of how Jesus was able to be that high priest because that would create a problem for the Jews. Because of the fact that Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. And he mentions that here in a little bit. But throughout the book of Hebrews, we've been seeing this, how he's showing them, once again, just kind of a little bit of review, that y'all aren't being disloyal to your religion. You're not going against the Word of God and following Jesus. You're not you know, dis, being disloyal when you leave behind those old customs, those old ordinances and you follow after Christ, this is what we were meant to do. This is what was prophesied. It's all over the Old Testament. And so you are not being disloyal to your fathers. You're not being disloyal to the Word of God. You're obeying it. In fact, you're, you're obeying the Old Testament by following Christ. And he's, so it obviously is going to cause questions. They're going to have concerns. And so um, in the first... Five chapters, I believe it was. He was pretty much talking about salvation and showing how salvation was always the same. It was always about believing God. It was always about faith. In chapter 6, he's telling them, all right, we're going to move on now. We're going to move on to perfection. We're done talking about salvation and repentance from dead works and a faith in God. And we're going to talk about actually you know, doing something for God. About actually being obedient and accomplishing things for God. Bearing fruit. And we have an, um, a mention in the last verse of chapter 20, or let's read in verse 19, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was able to go behind that veil where only the high priest could go. And he was able to do that sacrifice for sin. And he was able to do it once and for all. And he was that priest after the order of Melchizedek. Mentioning this, just showing that nothing in the law has been violated. Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And he did, in fact, do that. And so, Melchizedek's mentioned here. And you know, and this is something that in the past I've always kind of wondered about. I've not been real sure about. And it's, but, um, you know, I'm more convinced now than ever that Melchizedek was, in fact, Jesus. That it was, in fact, God the Son that Abraham met 
uh, back there in Genesis. And, um, and I've heard other theories and things before, and some of them sound pretty good. You know, he, it mentions in here how he was, um, he was made like unto the Son of God. And some say, well, he was just a picture of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't actually, you know, he wasn't actually Jesus Christ. He wasn't actually, uh, you know, God. But um, I think that's wrong just because of the fact that the one part I couldn't get past, you know, he says without father or mother. Well, I, I, well, maybe it's saying that because of the fact that he didn't have a father or mother, mother that mattered in the sense of, you know, when it came to the priesthood, you know, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. So it was somebody that God just appointed and it was irrelevant who his parents was. I thought maybe that's what that means. But when it says, you know, and I've never had an explanation for this, neither having beginning of days nor end of life. I don't know how you spiritualize that. I, I really don't. I mean, and, and who else is there? What other man has ever claimed to not have beginning or end? I, I can only think of one person that's ever claimed that, and it was the one who said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You know, the first and the last, and that was Jesus Christ. So, I do believe that Melchizedek was in fact Jesus, but just kind of an interesting side note, because... You know, when you look at this, there's a lot of questions. I want to try to answer them. These are just questions I've had. But notice how it says, okay, so if this is Jesus, if Melchizedek is Jesus, how come it says he's without father? Because Jesus has a father, correct? Hey, Jesus does have a father. God, uh, you know, God the Father is the Father, and Jesus Christ is the Son. So if Melchizedek is Jesus, why is he mentioned as not having a father? Well, Jesus Christ, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I believe, and this, can I kind of get into some Trinity stuff that, you know, let's just be honest, it can get a little confusing sometimes, a little mind-boggling, but that's just because we have an amazing God. So He's going to boggle our mind a little bit. Don't be surprised when that happens. But Jesus Christ has always been. However, He was not begotten until He was born. And see, this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses and the people who deny the deity of Christ often get mixed up, is they'll take some of the verses that are in the New Testament about Jesus Christ and about Him being begotten and about Him being the Son, and it's like, how can He have always been, you know, if He was begotten later? And they'll take some of the verses too, you know, that maybe talk about the beginning of His life and apply that like that was the beginning of Jesus. But that is, that's just dead wrong. That is not the way we're supposed to look at it. But Jesus Christ has always been, but yet He was not begotten until He was actually born on December 25th, year zero, right? Uh, we, we don't know the exact date. So what, but what about before His birth, okay? What about before His birth? Well, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Notice it doesn't call Him the Son. Okay? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the most well-known verse about the Trinity was, it, what is it called? Jesus. It, call, it says, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Okay? So it refers to Jesus as the Word. So you could say that Melchizedek, he was the Word. All right? And it was the Word that became flesh. It was the Word that was begotten of God. It was the Word that was the Son of God. And, it's, and uh, notice, because in uh, John 1, 1, 
So it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? He's with somebody, alright? You know, and then even if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you know, it says, uh, in verse 3, and God said, or in verse 26, let's look at verse 26, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Does anybody see the plurality there? Okay? He's saying, let us make man in our image. Okay? Jesus has always been. The Word has always been. He did not have a beginning. He does not have an end, just like the Father. And so, you do see verses later that makes it kind of seem like He's getting started. That's because He did have an earthly start, didn't He? Jesus Christ did. He was conceived in a womb. He was born of a virgin. But the Word that was made flesh has always been. And so notice how in verse 2, it says the same was in the beginning with God. Okay? The same. Who? The Word. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him. Who? The Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then jump down to verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So right there, we see very clearly that the Word is Jesus Christ specifically. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And so understand that when you have Melchizedek, I believe that he was, if that was in fact Jesus, which I believe it was, that the reason it refers to him as not having a father is because that was the word there at that time. He had not been conceived, you know, made flesh yet. Okay? Like Jesus was. But understand that Jesus' start was not in the womb of Mary. He was before. He was Melchizedek. He did not have a beginning. But when he was born of a virgin, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And the Father, uh, you know, he, he, he was the Son of God. So, you know, it's, it's some pretty amazing things, some pretty mind-boggling stuff. We all know where we got our start. Okay? We all were conceived in a womb, and that's where we started. And, you know, but before that, we were nothing, okay? But with Jesus Christ, that was not the case. He has always been. And so, you know, it says in verse 14, um, or in uh, verse 2, you know, it says, or of uh, John 1, it says, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him, okay? So how, and think about this, how were all things made? It was, they were all made by specifically the Word of God. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. What did He do to make the world? He spoke it into existence. His Word brought everything into existence. And the Word was there with God in, in the beginning. And that was Jesus Christ. So don't ever let any of these cults tell you that Jesus had a beginning. Don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses tell you that. He has always been and... I do believe that Melchizedek was, in fact, Jesus Christ. It was a Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. But yes, he's mentioned is not having a father because of the fact that at that point, you know, he had not become the son being born, you know, in the flesh. So, 
I, I know it's, it's a little mind-boggling, but I think, it, I think it's pretty clear what the Bible's teaching us right there. And so, um, you know, while Jesus was not begotten until 2,000 years ago, you know, Jesus was before He was born. So that's the thing that we've got to understand. And our high priest, Jesus Christ, He lives and abides forever. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. Who is the Word? It's Jesus Christ, who liveth and abideth forever. So, Jesus Christ, we are born of Him. We are in, those of us who are saved, we are in Christ. We are Abraham's seed. Why? Because we are in Christ. And Jesus Christ is that seed of Abraham. So, we're born of the Word of God. So, it's very clear that the Word of God is, in fact, Jesus. The Word of God has always been since before Jesus was born. And the Word is a part of the Trinity that Jesus was. And I believe Melchizedek specifically was in his, the, the person of the Trinity that he belonged to is the Word. Jesus Christ. So, anyway, hopefully that wasn't... You know, I, I was clear on that. Not complicating anything there. Making you more confused. But look at what it says in verse 4 of chapter 7. So I believe that's what it's all talking about too when he's talking about how you know, without father or mother, just showing this is, there was a priest, a high priest like Jesus before the priesthood of Aaron. Showing that there, you know, I personally believe there has always been a high priest. And we'll get more into that here in a little bit. But let's go ahead and keep reading verse 4. It says, Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Now, I hope you don't get bored with some of these details here, but he's showing all these things because these things were going to be important to the Jews. These things, they were absolutely necessary that he answer these things to show that Jesus Christ was in fact a fulfillment of the law. That this was exactly what was expected and what was prophesied. And he mentions, you know, Melchizedek, he was greater than the Levites. He was greater than Abraham because who did the Jews hold in really high esteem? Well, they held the Levites in very high esteem. They paid tithes to the Levites. That was how the Levites lived. They didn't have an inheritance in the land. And all the other tribes, they tithed to the Levites. So they would be able to do the work in the temple so they could do all those sacrifices, so they could do all those works on behalf of all the other tribes. So they would tithe. And Abraham was also, I mean, one who they held in highest regard, didn't they? Didn't the Jews make a big deal about them being the descendants of Abraham? About being children of Abraham? They made a really big deal about that. Why? Because Abraham was a great man. But right here, the writer of Hebrews is showing that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. He was even better. Yeah, you go ahead and hold Abraham in high esteem. That's fine. But just understand that Melchizedek was even greater. And proof of that was Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And look at verse 7. It says, And without all contradiction, 
the less is blessed of the better. What does that mean? The person who is considered better is often the one who gives the blessing to someone else. Okay, one of the customs that you see that they did throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is you would see you know, the fathers blessing the children. You see where Jacob, before he died, he went and he blessed his sons. Why, was, why did Jacob do that? Why didn't the sons bless him? Jacob was the father. Jacob was the greater. These were his sons and he gave them a blessing. You know, and he blessed Joseph's sons. And the fathers would often, they would bless the younger. They would bless the children. And that was just, it was just a common thing. If you would ask for someone's blessing, it was something that you did because you honored them. You respected them. You saw them as you know, above you in one way or the other. And we often, and, you know, and even today, you know, preachers will often do this where, you know, they will, I've seen it before, and where they will ask, you know, a preacher that they hold in high esteem and high regard, you know, just to, to pray for God's blessing on them. They want that blessing from someone that they see as special, somebody that they see as close to God. And in the story where you have Melchizedek and Abraham meeting up, who is the one blessing? It's Melchizedek that's blessing Abraham, showing that he was the better of the two. Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek, showing that Abraham even held Melchizedek in higher esteem than himself. So these things were going to be, they would be very important to the Jews. So Abraham tithed to Melchizedek just like the rest of the Israel tithed to the Levites. And the less is blessed of the better. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And look what it says in verse 8. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And, as, and right there, I mean, that shows that it's Jesus right there too. It's saying it's witnessed that he, talking about Melchizedek, liveth. Do we think just a normal man that lived in Abraham's day was still alive during that time? Absolutely not. But Jesus Christ has mentioned how he's still alive and he's still living. And that's mentioned over and over again. And it's witnessed that he liveth. Um, and as I say, as, and as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So right here he's showing how technically the Levites were credited for paying tithes because of the fact that Abraham did it. Now think about that for a little bit when it comes to uh, you know, your actions and how we do see in the Bible how you know, what you do kind of passes on to the next generation. And if you're doing wickedness, you know, you can be causing problems for your next generation. But we can also take that and make it into good. And maybe if we're doing good, if we're, if we're uh, being obedient to the Lord and our blessings that we get can often be passed on to the next generation. You say, ah, oh, that's not how it works. Actually, that's exactly how it works. Because look how often God did not destroy all the children of Israel, not because of them, but because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at how often some of David's descendants, God didn't utterly destroy them. Why? Because of David. So don't think that uh, you know, what you do doesn't matter. These things do matter to God, not just for you, for the next generation. It's a real selfish attitude, Dad. It's just me. It's my life. I can just do what I want. That's a terrible attitude to have. You're, the next generations do matter. 
So, but he just, he throws that in there, how technically they paid, the Levites paid tithes, just showing once again that Melchizedek was better than the Levites, was more important than the Levites. So look what it says in verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now here's a verse that your dispensationalists could take and run with showing a change in the law or what they would call a change in dispensation. So yes, and they would love to do this when they're showing how things were different in the Old Testament to just pull this one verse out and not look at the context, not look at the whole chapter. And you have to do that. You have to look at the whole chapter. And so it mentions here, there was a change of the law. uh, And then verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. He knew, what the, he knew what these people read. He knew what they were thinking. They're like, no, Jesus can't be the high priest. Moses said nothing about somebody from Judah you know, being a priest. So, he's, he's, yeah, Moses spoke nothing about that concerning the priesthood. And we know that our Lord sprang out of the tribe of Judah. Verse 15, And it is yet far more evident for that after the multitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And see, and it's that verse, these verses we just read right there, this is what makes me so mad about just the foolishness of dispensationalism and how they work and how they twist the Scriptures so bad. And they'll, do, they'll, they'll take that one verse and they'll just pull one verse out all by itself and just interpret it however they want. They'll run with it and talk about how there was a change of the law showing a, change, you know, a different way of salvation, a different way things had to be done. But notice how, he, if you just read a little farther, how he mentions... In verse, uh, I lost it, um, 16, who is made not after the law of carnal commandment. Okay? Why was it that the, that law of the Levitical priesthood, that was a carnal commandment, wasn't it? It was all about your genealogy. It was all about where you came from. And one thing that we're going to see a lot as we go through the rest of the book of Hebrews is all of those sacrifices and things they did, they never took away sins. And those priests, they never took away anybody's sins. They never cleansed anybody. Why? Because we, we're going to see here, these priests had infirmities. These priests died. They couldn't take away anybody's sins. So then why did they do it? Well, that gets explained here. We'll explain that here in a little bit. But you see just how ridiculous it is to take that one verse like that, see that change of the law, and then just go nuts with it like they're so smart. But they're, it's idiotic. It's moronic. And I'm learning more and more why Hebrews tell you, or why dispensationalists tell you Hebrews is a dangerous book. Because it exposes them as frauds and liars and idiots to come up with the things that they come up with. And so, you know, the tribe of Levi, it clearly was not going to save anyone. For, certain, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance 
at the altar, there was, there was another tribe. It was somebody else that was going to actually make things happen. Not the Levites. Not the ones who were there by carnal commandment. This was something that was prophesied. This new priest had to be one that was born and lived forever. Okay? Because uh, you know, those, those other priests, it says they died. Men who died. You know, they received tithes, but Jesus Christ lives forever. And that's an important thing. So look at what it says. Or so you could say the difference between Melchizedek and Jesus is that Jesus uh, had been born. He had a mother and a father, while Melchizedek did not. So Melchizedek, without father or mother. And so... We had to have Jesus who did have a father and mother because Jesus Christ, He did, in order to pay for our sins, He did have to come to earth. He did have to live as a, as a man. He did have to suffer temptation like we saw in one of the previous weeks. He had to be obedient. He had to go uh, along with the Father's will. He had to resist that temptation and do the will of the Father. He couldn't have done any of those things unless He was born in the flesh like you and I were. So there was a difference when Jesus Christ came to earth. He now does have a mother or father. His mother was Mary, but His Father was God. And because of the fact that He was born in the flesh, paid for sins in the flesh, lived a perfect life in the flesh, we now are able to be born again in Him. Not in the likeness of Adam, but in, in his likeness. And therefore, we have hope of salvation. Melchizedek, during his time, could not have went to the cross and paid for sins that way. He needed to be born in the flesh first in order for things to all be legal. I guess you could say, according to the Word of God. Those things were necessary and they had to happen. So, look at verse 18 says, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. So the law made nothing perfect, did it? We're not, nobody's getting into heaven by the law. Nobody ever did get into heaven by the law. Nobody ever got into heaven by faith plus works. No matter how bad Rucktards twist the Scripture, nobody ever got in by faith plus works. Nobody ever got saved that way. The law could make nothing perfect. Okay, So then, how did they get saved? And this really is pretty simple. They were saved by faith in the promise of what was to come. And that just happened to be, that, that promise was Jesus Christ and His work and His death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? And, they, and so they, they didn't have to know all the details of it. But their faith in the coming Messiah and His work, their, that was enough to save them. And that work that Jesus did, the death, burial, and resurrection, therefore they were saved by the same gospel that you and I are saved by. They were saved by faith in the promise of what was to come, and that was Jesus Christ. So, why did they do sacrifices? Okay? Why did they have to do those sacrifices? Why did God tell them to sacrifice lambs? Why did God tell them to do 
that earthly priesthood? Why did God make them do all those things? All those goat offerings? Why did they do those feasts? Why did they do the Sabbaths? Why all those things? If those things didn't save people and you know, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in God and His work is what saved them, why in the world did God ask them to do all those things? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Why, and, here, and here's the answer. Why does God ask us to get baptized? Why does God ask us to take the Lord's Supper? Why does God ask us to go to church? Why does God ask us to do good works? Why does God ask us to go soul winning? Why does He ask us to do all the things that we do? Do they have anything to do with salvation? No. Does our baptism have anything to do with salvation? Does us going souling have anything to do with our getting us into heaven? Going to church, does that have anything to do with us getting into heaven? Absolutely not. You and I know that. So then why in the world do we think that all those things they did back then were necessities to get them into heaven? Well, see, and here's the difference. So why aren't we still doing the same things they did back then? And here's exactly why. Because of the fact that all those works that they did in the Old Testament, they were a testimony of what God was going to do. And you can see that crystal clear when you look at things like the Passover. It is so clear what that represents. Those were a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do. And so that's why God had them do those things. Those things were supposed to help them recognize the Messiah when He did come on the scene. So they, would, so they would believe on Him. And all the things that we do now, they're things that we do looking back. The baptism, it's a picture of His death, burial, and resurrection, isn't it? All these things we do, these are things we do that are they're looking back at what Jesus did. And so they're clearly different because of the fact it would be foolish for us to be sacrificing animals and things like that because Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Jesus finished those things. He finished all those works. All those works that they did, and they were works that they did. They didn't save them, but those things were works. Those works were a picture of the work that Jesus was going to do. And Jesus did it. And so since Jesus did it, those works are done. And what do we do? Well, we've kind of got it easy, really, when you stop and think about it in a lot of ways, because our things that we do to look back on what Jesus did are really, really simple, aren't they? Like baptism. That's real easy. You know, like the Lord's Supper that is so much easier than the Passover. And you remember last year I talked about it because some of, some of these rucktards are doing it and a lot of the trendies are even doing it. It's, it's trying to observe the Passover. Trying to observe the Passover. That is, and I'm telling you, that is one of the dumbest, most sacrilegious things I have ever seen in my life to pretend that you are observing the Passover when Jesus already did that. Why don't we just go and nail ourselves to a cross? You know, why don't we just go sacrifice a lamb? If, we're gonna, if you're going to go, and then not only do they pretend they're observing the Passover, they take shortcuts. They don't do 10% of what you were actually supposed to do in the Passover. And if they would take the time to go and read their Bible, I don't know why I'm ranting on this, but it just, I just feel inspired right now. If they would read their Bible, do you realize that part of keeping the Passover is keeping the piece of unleavened bread that takes seven days? And in the same command, it's not you don't just pick one. You're supposed to do them all. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost. You're supposed to do all of those things. And what do they do? They take a lame, cheap, 
modern shortcut version that has been made up by Christ rejecting Jews. And you know why they do it? Here's why they do these Passovers. They do it. It's, it's all done as a way to honor the Jewish people. Because you never see him do it. You'll never see him do it without a stinking Israeli flag somewhere in the midst. They all use those same stupid plates with a stinking devilish star of Remphan on it. And it's, it's, it's a Seder dinner. Okay? It's not the Passover. It is a modern day Jewish custom. And they do it so they can lift up a people who have said, we reject Jesus Christ. We reject the work that he did. We believe the Messiah is still to come. And you know what? We're going to do our own cheap, lame, sac- or, uh, you know, pitiful imitation of the Passover. And you've got people who call themselves Christians participating in that. You've got these trendy churches that are always just doing everything they can to kiss everyone's rear so everyone likes them. And they'll get some guy who comes in who's a Jew, but it's okay because he says he's a Messianic Jew. And he'll have them all participate in their church and it's supposed to Passover. And they don't even kill a lamb when they do it. They don't even burn all the rest of the lamb like you're supposed to do. We can't, you know, we can't teach them the part about burning what's left of the lamb after it's been sacrificed because that's a pretty clear picture of Jesus going to hell, which we're not supposed to be preaching about. I'm telling you, it's just ridiculous what is going on in churches today just to try to lift up some of the most wicked people on the face of the earth who reject what Jesus Christ did. And that, that is happening and it makes me sick. It really does. It makes me sick to see this, this type of stuff going on. I'm telling you, Christians are making me sick today. I'm sick of watching. All, I'm sick of all these people praising Billy Graham. Because what in the world? I mean, what, how, what does a guy have to say to convince you he's not saved? You know, I thought somebody saying that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven is good enough. I mean, but apparently that's not enough. Someone who says that, you know, not every, some people need a born again experience in order to understand salvation, but there are some that are just born saved. When Jesus said, ye must be born again, I'm telling you right now, if you can't call somebody like that a false prophet, who can you call a false prophet? And to listen to some of these Baptists, Paul Chapel talking about the home going of Billy Graham on Twitter today. Yeah, he went home. He, he went home, but it wasn't a heavenly home. I mean, what makes me sick? I, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by people who call themselves Baptists. I'm embarrassed. I'm seeing people today, people that have, multiple people that have stood behind this pulpit, getting up and praising Billy Graham. And, and conveniently in Black History Month, praising Billy Graham by using a picture of him with Martin Luther King Jr., People who stood behind this pulpit. I'm embarrassed by that. I'm embarrassed by people who call themselves Baptists today. And we need to understand that you know, this idea of compromising on the Word of God and just you know, making these shortcuts and things, that is so wicked. Because all these details in the Bible, they are important. We see God getting very upset when they would, wouldn't do the sacrifices the right way in the Old Testament. You know why? Because those things were pictures of the coming Messiah. And God wanted them to understand it. He wanted them to get it right. And He would get mad when they did, wouldn't do it right. And He would often kill people when they wouldn't do it right. And God, Jesus Christ came and He fulfilled every little detail of the law. And we see here in the book of Hebrews 
that the writer of Hebrews is showing how, listen, Jesus is it. Every little detail. It's right there. Maybe you didn't see some of this stuff. Maybe it wasn't how you were exactly expecting it. But look, yes, Jesus did. He came from the tribe of Judah. But it was prophesied in the Old Testament that there was going to be a priest, another one that was coming after the order of Melchizedek. And that was Jesus. And I know that sounds weird to you, but it makes sense because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Levi technically paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of Abraham. Abraham, or Melchizedek, blessed Abraham, showing that Melchizedek was a greater than Abraham. You're not doing anything wrong by following after Jesus Christ. You're not doing you're not going the wrong way. You are doing exactly what the law talked about, exactly what was fulfilled. And these those details, they were important to them. These pathetic Christians today that just don't know a thing about the Bible, that just twist the scriptures that are going to participate in their lame, pathetic, antichrist, shortcut versions of the Passover, um, that, is, that is so wicked. And it makes me so sick. And it's about time Christians start vomiting at the side of those things and not getting involved in it, not participating in it. Any, anybody who goes to a church where they're going to observe the Passover. I've got no problem with somebody getting up and talking about the Passover and Showing people how meticulous it was and how detailed it was and to show how it pointed to Christ. But for anyone to get up and pretend that you are doing the Passover in any way is an abomination. And if anybody goes to a church like that, they ought to get out of it. They ought at least not show up that day. Because you should never participate in something that blasphemous. I've got a huge problem with that. And details matter. The details matter in the Bible. That's why we throw a fit about these modern Bible versions. And what people who want to change words and tweak things in the Bible, we throw a fit about that stuff because every little detail is important. It, it makes a difference. And it mattered. And Jesus fulfilled them. And, so he, and He's showing all these things. And so these people, the things they did in the Old Testament, they were, it didn't save them. Okay? But it was a picture of what was to come. The things that we do now that are all extra, we're saved. We can go home tonight. We can never go to church again. If you're saved, we are on our way to heaven. But we do these things as a witness of what Jesus did for us. We want want to be a witness and we're looking back on these things. So yes, there's been some big changes in how we operate and the things we do. But in the end, salvation has always been by faith. Always been by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 20. It says, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. See, there were no oaths or promises with the Levitical priesthood, but there it was with the priesthood of Melchizedek. There was promises that came with it. And Jesus, He is our surety or our guarantee. Okay? What, what does that mean? Okay? It's kind of like uh, if, you want to get, if you're going to get a loan. You know, they want some kind of surety. You know, what's something that you can show us to prove that you are good for this loan? You know, where, where's your collateral? Okay? And when it comes to our salvation... 
What do we have to show that we're good for it? Nothing except for Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is our surety of a better testament. And that, my friends, is why we can get up here and boldly proclaim that we have eternal security. Right there, we, this verse right here is a great verse about eternal security. Look, let's keep reading verse 23. It says, And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth to ever make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. See, the priests often had, they had to do things for themselves. They had to do cleansings for themselves before they could for the people. But Jesus didn't have to do any of those things because he didn't have any sins. And so verse 28, For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. So we see in this passage how it, we're reminded in the Old Testament those priests would daily go and offer sacrifices. Why? For the sins of the people. Why? Because they sin every day. So every day they're going and they're doing these sacrifices. They're doing these things on behalf of the people. But those priests died. And those priests had to daily do things because they had their own sins. But Jesus Christ, He didn't have any of His own sins to offer up sacrifice for. And so what He did, He offered up Himself as sacrifice for our sins. And He only had to do it one time. But notice how He ever maketh intercession for us. So in other words, we are, when it comes to our, our salvation, those of us who have believed on Christ, we have eternal security for as long as our high priest is alive. And he is a priest forever. He is going to live forever. Yeah, well, what if you go out and you do something really, really bad? I've got a high priest that ever maketh intercession for me. Well, what if it's really... He, he, make, he ever maketh intercession for me. I didn't get saved by my works. So if I didn't get saved by my works, if I got saved by the work of Jesus Christ, then what work could I possibly do to lose that? There are no works. that I, If there's no works I could do to get it, there's no works I could do to lose it. I got in by the work of Jesus Christ. And if I go and I do all kinds of horrible stuff, He ever liveth to make intercession for me. And therefore, I have eternal security. He is my surety. These people that act like, well, you know, if you don't, you know, continue in the faith, you know, if you don't hold fast, if you don't stay strong. Also, in other words, my surety is my works. So that's where I, that, that's, that's my security is in my works. Bible says our surety is Jesus Christ, not myself. If salvation were, yeah, you can get saved, but if you don't hang on, if you don't continue in the faith, you're going to lose that salvation. Then it, that means the guarantee that I'm good for my salvation is my works. But that is not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that anywhere. It teaches that Jesus Christ is the surety. He's the guarantee. And if I mess up, 
If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And so I'm good. I'm covered. I am going to live as long as Jesus Christ lives. And that's forever. And ever. Thank God for that. And anyone, and this is, this is why I'm not talking about eternal security tonight. But anybody who does not believe in eternal security is wicked. And probably not saved. That is a horrible, horrible teaching. I don't care how good their gospel sounds. If they don't believe or teach in eternal security, that's not salvation. If there is no eternal security, that proves... Anybody who does not believe in eternal security, I mean, that person obviously believes their salvation is somehow based on their works. Well, how is that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is not just believing He existed. It's trusting in His work. His work was enough. And so, if I think that I've got to do something to keep my salvation, I don't care how, you know, how good my prayer is, my sinner's prayer is that I say, if I'm thinking that my salvation is somehow in any way at all based on my performance from here on out, I'm not saved. Because I have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not put my faith and trust in His work. And that's why eternal security is so important that we teach that. That's why we ought to teach that when we go out soul winning and when we give people the Gospel. We need to hit them with eternal security. Another reason for that too is because most of these false religions that they're a part of don't believe in eternal security. And there's a good reason for that. Because they believe salvation is by works. And if you believe salvation is by works, you're not saved. It is about faith in Jesus Christ. And so, if you're saved by Christ's work, you will stay saved by Christ's work. That's crystal clear in the Bible. If you're saved by your works, you have to stay saved by your works. That's not going to work out. There, that's not going to work out good at all. So Jesus Christ, it's very clear He was not just after the law. He was before the law too. He was Melchizedek without beginning. Without end. So, how did people, get, you know, how did people get saved? All those other times before, it was always by the work of the true high priest, Jesus Christ. It was always, it was always by Him. All who have ever been saved have been saved by faith in the work of Christ. He's always been the high priest. Jesus had no beginning. He has no end. And because we are in Christ, we are guaranteed. The same thing. So, uh, if, any, if you get anything from this passage, you, when you read some of these details in there, it's just like, man, why, why is he being so specific on this stuff? He, he was being thorough with these people who, you know, they had a belief in the Old Testament law. And Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of every word of those things. Every word of this Bible is so vitally important. And we, we, don't want, we don't want to go perverting it. We don't want to go messing with it. We don't want to go changing it. And we're definitely not going to go and lift up men just because they're dead who, I mean, perverted the Word of God and perverted the Gospel big time. And you know what? I hear people, they make excuses for guys like Billy Graham. Because, you know, you can go and you can listen to some messages he preached where he gave a pretty good plan of salvation. But you know what? His message would change from place to place. He would 
When he's talking to Catholics, he speaks one way. If he's talking to Jews, he speaks another way. That, my friends, is a false prophet right there. Okay, when, what was he doing when he was preaching right? You know what he was doing? He was being a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is what he was doing. Hey, at least when he was talking to the Catholics, he was being a wolf in wolf's clothing. You know, when he wore some of those things, I've seen the pictures of him wearing the priestly garments and things like that. At least he was being a wolf in wolf's clothing. And then that's when he was actually being honest, when he was talking to everybody else. But he would go and he'd put on that sheep costume when he's talking to Christians because you guys uh, was clearly a wolf and a liar. And we don't, we're not going to lift up people like that. We're not going to praise that kind of thing. Every word of God is important. It's so vital. And we need to make sure that we take these things serious. And, that, and when we study our Bible, you know, we, we shouldn't just gloss over things in the Old Testament. See, that's the problem. That's why we, you know, and I think a lot of these people, maybe even some of the rucktards, I don't know, maybe not them, but some of these people, especially in the trendy churches that are, that are observing Passover, okay, you, they think they're doing a good thing. But you know why they think they're doing a good thing? Because they trust their pastor. If they read their Bible for five minutes, if they would just go back and study the Passover, they would realize uh, that little Seder dinner thing in that circle dish with the star of Remphan on it is not even close to a Passover dinner in the Bible. And if they would just read the New Testament, they would say, what in the world are we doing trying to keep the Passover? But they're not reading their Bibles. They skim over those things. And you do go study the Passover and then you're going to get outraged listening to so-called Christians talk about keeping the Passover. But unfortunately... We just we want to ignore these things in the Old Testament, but understand they were there to help people understand salvation and understand who Jesus was. And many of them missed it. You know why? He said in uh, last week, week before, they were they were unskillful in the world in the word. They needed milk. We we do we've got a responsibility to study these things. Otherwise, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble and do some really stupid things. And so I hope that was a help to you. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You are our surety. Lord, You're the guarantee that we're going to, going to heaven. You are why we have eternal security, Lord. You're why we have salvation. And we thank You for that. We thank You for being that high priest, for making an intercession for us. Lord, there's just no way to thank You enough. You, you did it all. And uh, it's, it's a humbling thought to think that we have eternal life knowing that we've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. But Lord, we thank You for it anyway because I know I don't want to go to hell. I do, I do want heaven and I thank You that You freely offered it to me, Lord. I had no ability to pay for it. and I pray You'll help us to learn from these things and just realize how important every word of the Scripture is and how these details do matter. And I pray You'll uh, use these things, Lord, to just strengthen our faith and uh, cause us to just want to study more so, just so we can learn about You. Not so we can be puffed up, Lord, but just so we can go close, closer to You. In Your name we pray. Amen.